Praise the Lord. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We celebrate the coming of Christ, and in the Christian church we have what's called the season, the first season of the church year. It it wasn't added until about 600 A.D., but it was made the first season of the Christian calendar because it begins the story of the events of Christ's life, His living, His ministry, His death, and His resurrection. Originally in the Eastern Church, Advent focused on when the angels told Mary she would bear a son. In the West, it became focused on the three comings of Christ, as I've mentioned so far this morning, the first coming at the nativity or His birth, and Christ's future coming to judge the living and the dead, which we all are aware of, at least if we are followers of Christ for any length of time, we learn about these two comings of Christ. But that present coming of Christ in believers through Almighty God's grace is one that we don't often talk about. Many use an evergreen wreath to celebrate the coming or the advent of Christ, but the source of that practice predates Christianity. The evergreen wreath was used by ancient Teutonic tribes to honor the sun god. But unlike the pagans, we do not honor the sun, S-U-N. We celebrate this third Sunday of Advent to symbolize joy and rejoicing. Our rejoicing has brought about those three things, the first coming of Christ, His promised return, and His present coming in believers. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to the 11th chapter of Matthew, if you will, or we'll have it up on the screen there, Matthew chapter 11, and... That's where we're going to read verses 2 through 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the first record of the gospel, chapter 11. And if you're interested in opening the Bibles there, you can find that on page 1506. Matthew 11, beginning at verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? He's asking Jesus, Are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? Now, wait a minute. 
John the Baptist knew him. This was his cousin. He witnessed all of the, 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 the miracles that took place, the signs, the wonders that were done in the presence of Christ by his own disciples. John saw all of this, and still, in his tribulation, he's asking, are you the one? Are you the one? That strikes me. This was John, the faithful prophet of God, who had proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, had prepared his way. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Now remember, John wore coarse clothing, camel's hair. He ate bugs and the food that was produced by bugs, honey. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And, ha- and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I pray that God would add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word today. Our text opens up with John the Baptist. The baptizer, the one that everybody in that area knew at that time, because the Word tells us all went out to see him. They went out to be baptized of him. Even our Lord was baptized by John. Matthew reveals the details of John's imprisonment in chapter 14. We're going to go there for a moment to look at that. Herod had arrested John, tied him up, put him in prison, and Herod did this for Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. This Herod was Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that ordered all the children under two to be murdered at the coming of Christ. This was after the astrologers told of when the star announcing the birth of Jesus had arrived. And the second chapter of Matthew tells how these astrologers, they're called wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. That's in Matthew's gospel, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2. John had publicly spoken against this Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. He said, It's not right. You need to turn away from this. It's not okay. Now, the wife's mother wasn't happy with that at all, because after all, her daughter was with the king. 
with the head guy. Pretty prominent position to be in in those days. And Mama wasn't happy at all. And what did Mama do? She told her daughter, whenever you dance before him, he's going to want to give you something. Tell him you want the head of John the Baptist. Get him out of the way. He's a problem. John was the prophet, the last prophet of the Old Testament period. Matthew tells us that Herod had wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they knew that John was a prophet. And that's interesting to me because here was John. He's proclaiming the coming of the Lord, and there he is in jail. Then we see him at the end of his life. He's in jail. He's facing death. He's bound in prison. And what does he do? Did he lose faith? It doesn't say that, but you have to wonder because he says, are you the one? Are you the one? And here I think we see John's human nature. I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing the pressure that was on John. In prison, bound, obviously not eating well, if at all. He was unsure, or he would not have asked. He had some measure of doubt, because in his tribulation, he's wondering, is this the one? Is he good? Because, see, they thought that he was going to be this majestic king. He was going to ride into town. He was going to save God's people. He was going to deliver them from the Romans. But he didn't. Jesus didn't deliver them from the Romans any more than we've been delivered from the forces of evil that are running the world today. He hasn't delivered us from that. He hasn't taken us out of that. And there are those who believe He's going to, that He's going to come in and whisk us out of here, and we're not going to have to deal with it. But let me tell you, folks, we are dealing with it. It's present right now. Even as we go through our day-to-day lives. And we can't expect that somehow Jesus is going to come in and whisk us out of jail, because that's essentially what we're in. It's a prison. But God has allowed us to be here to draw others into His kingdom out of the present world. Deliverance is through Christ, but not in the way that they thought, and nor, I think, as many people think today. And that's probably the saddest commentary on the Christian church, because we're telling everybody, you're going to get out of here. Instead of telling him, you got to stay, you have to occupy, you must persevere. John was persevering, but he was in prison. He wanted confirmation. Remember, John baptized him. He, he saw the signs. He heard the voice from heaven. Wasn't that enough? All of that stuff kind of shrinks in comparison to all the mess that he found himself in. What did Jesus do? Did he tell John, yeah, I'm the one. Don't worry. No, that's not what he did. He told John's disciples to go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
He's quoting Isaiah 61.1. He had stood up in the synagogue and he had read that passage. And he said, today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was proclaiming himself as the Messiah, and that raised a ruckus. Because he was some itinerant preacher from, where was it? Nazareth? Where's that? Bethlehem? Nothing good comes out of there. Then our Lord questioned the crowds about their interest in John and explained that he was the voice crying in the wilderness that Malachi had foretold. See, he's confirming his position, his role as the Messiah right there. But he doesn't say it plainly. Why couch it in phrases that they've got to think about? He does the same thing today. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to ponder it. What is our role? Are we the one to share the gospel with someone? Are we the one who would draw someone out of darkness into the light of Christ? Almighty God sent the Messiah into the world as a helpless child instead of a mighty king. They were expecting a mighty king. They didn't expect a little baby. And the birth of the Messiah was a miraculous event. It testifies of God's patience, and it testifies of God's gift to humankind. Matthew also relates that Herod the Great and all of Jerusalem were troubled when they heard this. Whenever they heard that he had come in, that he was arriving, that he came. The people told Herod the the words of the prophet, prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's written in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, and it's quoting Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. John had himself prophesied Christ's role as the Lamb of God. It's written in John 1.29 that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here he is in prison at the end of his life, and he's asking, Are you the one? What happened? What happened? This great man of God asking such a question, are you the one? Without Christ, all people are in prison awaiting death. The prison that sin creates provides only one way out. But God comes in and says, here am I. Accept me. And he makes that way a different way. It's not just that the wages of sin are death, as the Word says. It's also that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we need to remember this because we know that there are lots of sinners. Wait a minute. Think about this, okay? Who did Jesus use as His disciples? Was he going to the religious folks? Hey, you, you're a Pharisee, you're a Sadducee, you're a Herodian. How about we pull you guys together and we make a team and we go out in the world and we tell everybody that I'm the Messiah? That's not what he did. He went and he got common people, sinners, 
sinners. And so often the church wants to reject people that have sinned, and yet we forget that we too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're called by God to take His Word into the world, into all the world, not just the little corner that we live in, but most certainly that part too. Because we are where we are. God has placed us there. We are there because He wants us to reach the people that only we can reach. We are the one to take that gospel forward. But are we doing it? John was wondering when this ruler would step up and take his throne. That's obvious by asking the question, are you the one? Christ ministered to those who were locked in prisons of grief and pain and suffering. Any of you who've ever had pain and suffering, you know the grief that comes with that. I'm looking at my wife. I'm able to walk because of this surgery that she had on her foot and her leg. Unable to walk. And I see her wincing in pain, though she bears it well. And I say, dear God, take away that pain. But here's John. He's in prison and he's in pain. He's suffering for his faith, for his belief, for speaking the truth. Do you think that they applauded him for speaking the truth? You know what, Herod, you're, uh, you're not supposed to be married to your brother's wife. That's not lawful. You're doing wrong here. Now, could you imagine any preacher today going to a high-ranking official and saying, ah, what you're doing is wrong? Do you think that we'd escape without consequences? It's not likely. But should that stop us? Should that stop us from speaking the truth? Absolutely not. John might have been wondering if he'd be set free from that prison of stone and iron. Instead of leading mighty troops into battle against those despotic rulers, so Christ served everyday people of that time, and He taught them to be servants also. He served. He was the servant, the suffering servant. And what did He do? He taught us to do the same thing. If we follow Him, we serve others, Christ. They believed that the Messiah was going to be a mighty king, not a humble servant. So it wasn't well understood by those who studied the message of the prophets. How could this one be? How is he going to deliver us? He, he's a lowly servant. He, he's not a mighty king. They didn't get the message. They missed the true memo from God. They believed he was going to be a mighty king, and they were disappointed, and many doubted. Many walked away, and at one point he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to walk away too? And it was Peter, I believe, who said, Lord, where are we going to go? 
You're the one with the message of eternal life. But there were others who exercised faith. There were others who joined in the spreading of the truth. There were others who took his powerful message of service and unity and love and delivered it to still others. Otherwise, we'd have never heard it. Wouldn't have come down to us. It's been thousands of years. How does a message continue for that long if there isn't truth in it? Oh, it's been investigated. There have been plenty of people who have investigated this. They want to try to disprove it. But what they do is they end up finding out that they can't. It's not able to be disproved. It's the truth that Almighty God has presented and preserved for all generations. And we still have the way, that message of the way that He brought, that He taught. It's the message of a narrow path. It's the joyful message of the kingdom of heaven. It is a joyful message. And we've covered some of the details of what the Scripture shows heaven to be, a beautiful place where there's no suffering, no tears, no crying. It's a joyful message of the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. And we are to serve by God's grace. It's the everlasting message of the mind of Christ within His people. We are to have the mind of Christ. Not our own mind. Not my way. His way. Not my will. God's will be done. When they asked Christ, how should we pray? He didn't say, pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My will be done. That's how many people think of it. They live it. But that's not what he said to pray. He said, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. The Scriptures that we read between the songs today speak of rejoicing. They speak of preparation. They speak of anticipation and and fulfillment of prophecy. The psalmist proclaims and vows perpetual praises to Almighty God. This isn't just for that time. It's also for us to follow today. Let us vow to praise God continually as it's written in the 146th Psalm. Isaiah, who was often the gloomy prophet of the coming of the Messiah, they they criticized him. He sings in praise and proclaims the joyful flourishing of Christ's kingdom. And this is also an example for us to follow. Let's sing in praise to God. Let's proclaim the joyful flourishing of Christ's kingdom. Let us do that. We are the ones to do it. If John the Baptist said, are you the one? We would have to answer, I am. This flourishing begins with each of us. In James chapter 5, we we know that James exhorts those who were suffering persecution to exercise patience. Patient continuance in the faith. He also encourages them with the hope of Christ's second coming. And this is why we look at Christ's coming, not just His first coming, not just His present coming, but also His future coming. 
Because therein we find hope. And it may have been twisted throughout the centuries. I believe it has been. When I look at the Scriptures and I see what they reveal and I hear what others are proclaiming, I say, wait a minute, there's a difference here. Where did that come from? It didn't come from God because it's not in His Word. James also reminds them of the patience of the prophets who were waiting for the first coming of Christ. And this is why we look back at the first coming of Christ. This is why we look at what the prophets said. They were bringing the message of Christ's coming. And the world didn't receive Him. It didn't. The world largely rejected Christ probably going to be that way when He comes again. We are to be ministers of His grace and patiently reveal Christ to the world in this time. And I believe we are at a time, folks, unlike any other, where people are more receptive to receiving the truth of the gospel. And I believe this is why God has allowed it. Scripture is full of instructions and warnings for all people. The instructions show us the way that believers will look and act and interact with Almighty God and with others. The warnings show us the consequences of our actions and the results of our interactions with Almighty God and others. The warnings are clear. We don't just focus on the warnings, but we don't ignore them either. And there are many who want to ignore the warnings because it doesn't feel good for people to hear that God warns His people. But it's the truth. And we need to hear the truth, especially in a time when lies are being so pushed upon us. Followers of Christ are the revelation of the present coming of Christ. We are that revelation of the present coming of Christ into the world through Almighty God's grace. Scripture tells us, in fact, He lives within the body of believers. And if, in fact, He does, then we observe joyful evidence of our existence in Him and His existence in us. And I have to ask, are we really living present examples of His coming within His people. We know this time of year is full of emotionally charged memories, and I hear it all the time. I hear people telling of how they're so sad because they're not celebrating with this person or that person or another person or whatever it was that they're longing for in the past. The Lord tells us not to do that. He warns us not to do that. Many people are in prisons of sin, sorrow, and grief. Some laugh while others cry this time of year. Some reminisce while others try to forget this time of year. People everywhere need what God-fearing believers have. They need what we have. They need that hope. They need that joy. They need the peace of God that passes understanding, and we have that. How selfish it would be for us not to give it to someone else, because not only can we give it away, but we can keep it. It's not as if we give it away and it's gone. We can give it away and still have it. 
We can have that peace of God that passes understanding. We can have the joy of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we need to endure anything, think of John the Baptist in prison. He was a faithful servant, and here he found himself in jail, and he's wondering, are you the one? What happened here? Why am I in jail? I thought you were going to deliver us. That's what's implied in that. We need to be rejoicing and praising Almighty God. We need to be expressing the peace of God that passes understanding. We need to share the joy and the grace of God during our recalling of the first coming of Christ. Because the whole world is celebrating this thing that's called Christmas now. The whole world. It's all over the world. There's nobody in the, at least, I would say, in the Western world, even the Eastern world. Christ has been proclaimed. And people were celebrating this thing that's called Christmas, this time of the year. And there are those who do not know the one that this celebration is named after. And we have the ability. Are you the one that's going to lead them to Christ? Are you the one? Are we patiently anticipating our Savior's second coming? Are we enduring? Are we holding down the fort? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we joyfully living in Him through His present coming by God's grace? Are we really being those whom He wants us to be? We know the Scripture tells us that there will be signs that follow those who believe, signs and wonders. Are we seeing those things? There's been some squelching of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. There have been those who teach that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in the body of Christ anymore, but that's not what God's Word shows, and I have to go with what God's Word says. If Christ is living in us, are we revealing Him to others? And can others see Him in our lives, or is what they see something different than Christ? Are we exhibiting the mind of Christ? Are we living in that true expression of Christ in us? Because somebody could say to us, are are you the one? Are are you really, are you following that guy that's written of? As I wrap this up, I want you to ponder John the Baptist's question to our Lord, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Remember his commission to his followers. Our Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, his present coming in believers, even to the end of the age. It is so. That's what amen means. So be it, or it is so. And then I want you to ask yourself, am I the one to reveal Christ? Or should they look for another?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, Lord, root Your Word in our hearts. Your Word tells us that there will come perilous times, and Father, I don't believe we've seen perilous times, because Your Word says it will be unlike any time before. Keep us strong, Lord, as we look forward to Christ's coming, but let us also exhibit Him. Let us allow others to see Him within us. Help us to make disciples. Help us, Father, to baptize them. Help us, Father, to teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. And help us, Lord, to know that Christ is with us always, even to the end of the age. I pray in His mighty and majestic name and all of God's people said, Amen.